Now, I've got an interview for you today that, quite frankly, I've wanted to do for a long time. It's with John Petrolino. Now, John wrote a book called Decoding Firearms. And I read that a while ago, and it was just a really good book. There's something for everybody, whether you're a first-time shooter or somebody like me who's been shooting for, well, 40 years. You have something that you can learn from it. Now, John also writes for various websites, including Bearing Arms. But before we get to talk to John, I need to pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by Primary Arms. Now, when I was in FFL, I did a lot of transfers for Primary Arms. My customers would buy online from Primary Arms, have them shipped to me. I would do the final transfer for them. I was always impressed with their customer service. Now, if you want to support the channel and do it for free, shop Primary Arms. The link will be down below. It's an affiliate link. When you click that link, it'll take you right to Primary Arms. And a small percentage of your purchase will come back to the channel. And the greatest thing is, it's not going to cost you a penny more than you were already going to spend. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to John. John? Tell me about your love of guns. Uh, my name's John Petrolino, and I'm uh, a writer. I do a number of articles over at different sites online, uh, primarily over at Ammo Land and Bearing Arms. I also do do some blog entries for JM4 Tactical, who's a, a holster and training company in Texas, and uh, the Second Press, which is a substack that's managed by uh, Braden Langley. From Langley Outdoors, um, and that's kind of my shtick. Uh, I also have a book out called uh, "Decoding Firearms." Well, let's talk about that book really quick because that's actually how the two of us met was um, through your book. I, I read your book, and you know, we talked, and and I think it's a really good book. But you know, talk a little bit about that book, and and how did you come to writing "Decoding Firearms"? Sure. So this is this is the book. It's Decoding Firearms. The subtitle is An Easy-to-Read Guide on General Gun Safety and Use. Um, this came out in the June 1st of 2020, and it's 266 pages. It's got about 115 illustrations just to kind of fan this out for everyone to see. Um, and it's basically a soup-to-nuts guide. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have everything, but it's enough to get people up on their feet to where they, um, you know, could learn about firearms on the basic use. And the, um, the book, it goes over a lot of the safety rules and, and things like that, that you need to uh, be cognizant of. And then we jump right into like the mechanics of things. How do firearms operate? How do they function? Uh, different action types. This book is inclusive, so it covers uh, handguns, uh, and in handguns we do have revolvers, we have um, uh, semi-autos, we have single-action revolvers, double-action revolvers, and then uh, for long guns we cover some different action types for long guns, pump action, lever action, bolt action. So I try to get as much material in there as possible for conventional firearms that most people today would go to the gun store to buy. So there's not really a lot on muzzle loaders. There's a little bit in there. And um, some of your more antiquated things like 
break action revolvers. I don't really cover that. Um, but overall, I would say it's pretty inclusive of different action types. And then from there, we go into the, the 101 level, you know, fundamentals of shooting. And um, the first eight chapters cover a lot of the material that you need, including um, a review chapter. And then uh, chapters 9 through 15, I have, like, uh, a lot of extra information. So if you want to look closer on a topic and, you know, one of the topics that I, I speak to quite a bit is um, sanitary considerations when, you know, going to the range or shooting mm -hmm. um, and the subject of lead contamination and, you know, how we take these things home with us when we go to the range, we come back home. Um, I speak to that and potential hazards to yourself your family your pets and whatnot so i have a whole chapter dedicated to that and, and you know truth be told it's a little boring uh but i think that it's important information um and then some of the other chapters things like um i gloss over gun cleaning and the reason i do that is i just go through the mechanics of it uh, because i want people to read the manuals on their firearms and the manuals usually will have a guide on how you're supposed to clean the gun to their you know recommendations so um in the in this book itself and i even have a, a part in the introduction where i talk about this the referencing the manual i think i bring that up over 40 43 times in the text saying make sure you reference the manual on your firearm and yes i'll concede that not every manual for every firearm is going to be great and over the top but the point is get as much information as you can from the manufacturers and um if you don't have uh, a manual you can call those manufacturers or get them online and they will get you the information you need and that's kind of important to know because really the manufacturer is the ultimate authority of that firearm so you do want to make sure that you are maintaining it to their specifications. You're just adding some additional information onto that. So that way it kind of gets you going down that road. And, you know, when I read your book, that was the biggest thing I got out of the book was this is really a great book for people who are first time firearm owners. Um, you know, you, you said, you know, it might be a little boring. And it's funny because some of my content is very technical. It's not that it's boring. It's just, it's technical content. Right. But you don't go too deep in the technical content to the point where, you know, you're trying to explain nuclear fission. I mean, you're, you're putting <laughs> it in layman's terms that people can understand. So, you know, people looking at this book shouldn't shy away from it just because it's a little technical. I mean, there is some great information through the entire book. So, and, and I appreciate that commentary because I worked uh, very hard to make it as down to earth and I want it to be accessible uh, to people. What got you to write this book? I mean, you're, you know, you're writing blog articles and things like that, but why, why write a book? So the book, uh, it's funny how the book came about. Um, I was doing quite a bit of instructing. I still do. Um, and it's not like I have the John Petrolino Academy of Firearm <laughs> Instruction, okay? So this is just one of my side hustles. And I like to work with people. I like to instruct on firearms. Um, so one of the main areas where I would get um, 
you know, customers or clients that are looking for um, firearm education is the local gun club that I'm a member of. And the local gun club, like some gun clubs may have a education requirement where thou shall take a class on firearm safety. And uh, to the club's credit, they are very much so geared towards, we definitely want you to take a class from somebody that's a member. So they are pretty good about, you know, keeping, um, you know, some sort of a stopgap because you could take a class that is uh, a syllabus from one of the national organizations, let's say, and you could get 10 different instructors. And not only can you get 10 different styles, you could also get 10 completely different classes. So they were, they have an element of at least they know who's teaching what and how they're doing it. And um, there was what I would consider a small gap in, in needs for training. And for me, it was kind of challenging. I'm going to sit down and do an eight hour class with this guy or woman that's uh, joining the gun club. So, well, I've been a gun owner for 20 years and I've been shooting at XYZ place. I just never took a safety class or I don't have a certificate to prove that I took a safety class. And part of that was I'm not just training this person, but I'm actually evaluating their knowledge. So if you're able to evaluate somebody's knowledge through your training, you can actually speed things along. And I'm not saying that this is a matter of pencil whipping. This is a matter of let's set a a standard to where we could say, okay, this guy's got it or this guy doesn't have it. And, you know, basically tailor the class to every student's needs and it's going to be the same exact material. It's just how you deal with it, right? Um, so I had wrote this syllabus and I had submitted it to the trustees and I submitted it to the guy that's in charge also of the uh, the training requirements. And they says, yeah, we, we like this. You can teach this class. So I, I basically wrote the syllabus for a, it's anywhere between one to four hour uh, seminar and it's hands-on, it's at the range, it involves the live fire. And um, I say one to four hours, and truth be told, usually runs about four hours because I'm getting students that want or need. They're engaging. Exactly. Everything. Um, So I have the syllabus, and I'm like, well, what do I want? I want to give the students something to take with them after we're done with the class or something to reference while we're, we're doing the class, some sort of a material, right? And I could reference other books and say, hey, these are good books or these are whatever, but I wanted something like a handout. Here you go. You're taking my class from me. You take this home with you. You put it on the coffee table. You're more likely to reference it down the road again and again and again, and maybe your significant other will, will look at it. So there's a lot of fringe benefits I feel of, you know, putting physical material in people's hands. So I made a list and I, I based it off of the, um, the outline of the actual class. And that's what chapters one through eight in the book are um, exactly those topics from the outline. And when I got done listing all of the things that I would want to hand out to somebody, it turned into a 266 page book. This isn't a handout. It's now a book. Um, and that's kind of how it came about. And, and subsequent to, to putting together the book, I actually did make a workbook that goes with this. So when 
somebody is taking a class from me, they get an actual workbook and they have the option to buy the book. If, right. And they yeah. take that workbook home with them. They could take notes in there and it's got, uh, I did all the hard work when I did the book because I had all the illustrations and everything. There was all, uh, all the photography that you see in the book. I, I took all of it except for like maybe two or three photos that friends took. So this was all original work that um, was cropped and edited and you know annotated specifically for this book so uh putting together a workbook at that point was like easy <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's funny so i i grew up on the east coast i grew up just across the river over in um just north of philly in uh, mm -hmm. ben salem and i went to you know gun ranges as a kid and I've been in all kinds of different gun ranges. I lived in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland. And um, where you're talking about, you know, taking a class to join a range, I've been to ranges where they require a class. Uh, that was a range that I shot in just north of Baltimore. Great mm -hmm. range, very safe. You knew that the person next to you took the same class, had the same knowledge you did. Whereas I took a, uh, I joined another range. It was, um, just over the line from Delaware and Pennsylvania that quite frankly, I saw some scary stuff going on. Right. And of course the ROs are not really paying attention. Sure. It was an indoor range. Uh, both these were indoor ranges, but um, it, it's, it's, it may seem silly to some people. Why do I need to take a class to join a range? Trust me, when you have those places, and you see stupid things happen, you're happy to be at the ranges that actually teach a class and make you go through a class before you go. I mean, at this one range that doesn't teach a class, I saw someone take a pistol grip with no, you know, no stock on a shotgun and do this with it. Uh, my father and I were touring that range and we were banging on the glass and a guy squeezed the trigger and didn't have front teeth after that. Ooh. Um, it, yeah, my father and I were like, "No, this is not for us." Uh, yeah, we'll we'll find somewhere else to shoot. But it's great that you're you're kind of teaching this class, and then where you're talking about where your class goes four hours, and you, you tailor it to the people. Here in Montana, to get your concealed carry permit, you have to prove competency with a firearm. Now it could be hunter safety, it could be a DD two fourteen, or take a firearm safety class. And the the one that my wife and I took when, you know, back when we got our concealed carry permits was taught by a um, an ex-highway patrol officer. And his was six nights, two hours per night, and then range day. Whereas other ones, you were through that thing in like three hours, mm -hmm. including your range time. And I, I scratched my head at some of these things. It's like, you know, I've been shooting since I was seven. Uh, this, this instructor that we took the class with only teaches six students at a time. He takes his time. He goes through things. And then when you get to range day, you know, for me, I've done competition shooting and stuff like that. He knew, you know, we talked before, you know, he got, he got me through the range stuff, all the stuff that I needed for the range. And then he focused on the people who actually needed help. And it's great when you have an instructor do that rather than one size fits all. Right. Every, 
every once in a while, my wife and I take a class. We just choose another instructor and take a class just, just to find a different thought process, find, you know, just to refresh on things. We were sitting in one class where it was one size fits all. We were in a, in a bay and we were just about shoulder to shoulder because they were maxing out the amount of people in that class. And there was three instructors for, I think it was like 35 students. Ooh, it, it was tough. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, and then they can't keep their, they can't keep their eye on everything all the time. Yeah. And then of course, if one person has a problem, everybody's focused on that one problem. They're not paying attention while the rest of the people are still emptying mags down range. Sure. So I can really appreciate, you know, the way you're teaching like that, because those one size fits all classes, they scare the hell out of me. Um, I've been in them and I, I don't like them. Um, they're not, they're not paying attention and people are not getting value out of them. Not only yeah. not getting value, not getting education out of it. Sure. And I've had, Hey, we've got to look at this, you know, people learn differently. So there are different types mm -hmm. of learners. So it's not that I, specifically address that because it's not like I go out of right. my way to address that, but I kind of do. So if somebody's approaching me, I like to do one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one training where it's just me and a handful of people. Uh, the largest class I ever did, I think was like four or five people maybe with an assistant. Like I try to keep it small um, right. so that it's more intimate. And I'll go to my students and explain to them everything we're going to do from beginning to end. They have a list of all of the competencies that I'm saying that we need to, to meet in order to, for them to get a passing grade for the class. I offer to them the option to, to get my book if they wish to get my book, to get it in advance. And if they do get my book in advance of taking the class, I'll give them chapters to read. I'll say, read this chapter, this chapter, this chapter. And then this way, when we go and discuss these things, we get to review. And I've had students come to me with a tablet pad with a whole page notes. and a half of notes and questions. And I've had, um, you know, People take a class from me and they fill out the workbook and they're writing notes as we're going along. And I've also taken, uh, I've had classes with students where they will look along and sure, and they might look at the, the picture and then look at the firearm or whatever. Some people ignore the material uh, altogether. Uh, but at least this way, the, the resources are there. And I feel by having the corporal where they can touch the firearm and then also see the firearm labeled or whatever competency we're trying to to go over like that one picture uh i think you remember in the in the book we have picture of rifling right and in, mm -hmm. in inside yep. the in the book that's a real photograph of real rifling of real firearms that i own and i got a camera that was a borescope camera specifically to be able to do this and i took this pictures um so when i'm with a student and trying to explain to them the rifling and we talk about what the spiral football right you don't if you throw the duck the football doesn't really go yeah. where you want it but you throw the spiral so you have this rifling i could show them the picture this is actually what rifling would look like if you were able to see it um you know looking through the barrel of a firearm um and i think that's a valuable thing so it's not that it's multimedia per se because i'm not doing this in a classroom i would love to be able to do it in a classroom as well i could um but just have that material there i think appeals to the different 
uh, needs of students. And th that's kind of the cool thing about the book, because when you go through the book, you almost can get a, a specialized education because you, know, you can go, OK, uh, you know, if you're an experienced shooter, I, I don't need to know this. I'll just skim read through it to find something that is I, I don't know or that I need to brush up on. Whereas if you're a new person, you just have nowhere to go. It's it's all there. Just, you know, just start reading, going through it, and then you will learn enough that you're, I mean, and let's face it, with, with new gun people, especially adult gun people, they're kind of afraid to talk to, they're, you know, they're afraid to go to a range and go, hey, I'm new, you know, they because everybody right. else is experienced, where this kind of gives them the, the confidence that they can go, okay, I'm new, but I'm not going to look stupid, right? And and, I, and that's a stigma that I really hate about new gun owners is that I'm going to look stupid. No, you need to learn. I mean, when I yeah. when I first started competing, I didn't know how to compete. I learned. And then everybody there was getting me through the shoot. And, you know, that's the greatest thing about this community is if you need help, there's help everywhere. Right. And it's this is a good icebreaker. I You know, my hope is that somebody... My, my hope isn't that somebody picks up this book and reads it and, and, and then they hit the range and they become the next Olympic star. My hope is right. that somebody reads this book and has a good foundation and then seeks training or seeks um, extra guidance from somebody, again, in the real world, um, and they're able to do it with a little bit of information and, and, and maybe break that ice because there's some people that are very very apprehensive about this and like you said afraid to ask questions well if they're able to ask a question now that's maybe a little bit more pointed they might be more inclined to ask that question yeah they have more confidence in themselves sure and when i i did um uh, i was a part-time range safety officer at a, a commercial range in new jersey and their shtick was they rent it firearms out to people you can go and rent a lane and shoot and you know the dynamic mm -hmm. um and i got a heck of a time cutting my teeth there working with we'll say students because you have people coming in that are customers and it's not like you're there to teach a class you're there to make sure everybody is safe right. um but the people that came in that were not necessarily knowing exactly what they were doing that asked for help you know I was happy to help them. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've seen everything because I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a lot. And um, the people that, um, I think this goes without saying, the people with the more arrogant attitudes were the ones that ended up being also more problematic. And the people that yeah. were a little bit more humble, and I, you know, it's all how you approach and work with them, say, hey, I'm here for you. So I want, to be able to help you the best that I can to make sure you have a safe time. And then, you know, secondary to being safe is that they enjoy themselves. Um, and I, I feel that that approach, you know, works well. And that's the, the problem when you have ranges that don't necessarily have range safety officers, or if the range safety officers are rather hands office and they're just there to, you know, mind the line and, you know, regulate the rules right so yeah anyhow that was something that i i got a lot of expense um instructing 
for doing that. So John, you, you write for other websites. You said that in your intro. How did you get into writing blog articles for websites? Sure, that's a uh, that's a really great question. So I do write for Ammoland. I do write for uh, Bearing Arms, uh, JM4 Tactical. I'll do blog entries for them. And uh, like I said, uh, the Second Press, which is by um, Braden uh, Langley from Langley Outdoors. And I, I will be actually making a debut in the uh, Armed Lifestyle magazine. It's a new online magazine awesome. as well. And the way this came back came about was actually kind of uh, accidental. Uh, see, like most things, you know, you just kind of stumble into them. Now, I've been a writer for, at this point now, we're going on, you know, 22, 23 years. I mean, I've been involved in writing for a while. Um, and it was like in 2015, I had seen an ad, and it might have been on social media. I can't exactly remember where I saw the ad. But there was a website that was looking for people to write articles. So I reached out to, the, to that website and said, hey, I'd like to give a crack at this. I've never done it before. And they said, okay, well, what topic or topics would you like to cover? And at that time, and this was 2015, there was the efforts to try to recall Senator Steve Sweeney. Now, if this name rings a bell... Uh, it's, uh, Steve Sweeney recently just got ousted by Ed Durr, who's Ed the Trucker. If you've heard who yeah. that is, uh, Ed the Trucker dethroned Steve Sweeney. But prior to this, in 2015, we tried to, I say we, the citizens tried to recall Steve Sweeney. So I told this editor and uh, the owner of this webpage that I'd like to write about the recall effort of Steve Sweeney. And the article that I wrote ended up being a massive article. And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't just recalling Steve Sweeney. To me, this was New Jersey is on trial. And um, New Jersey's on trial because of their crummy laws. And New Jersey's on trial because of uh, the way the citizens are treated. So I went into a whole bunch of backstory on how some of our laws affect the citizens and whatnot, and then how Steve Sweeney fit into this as the Senate president. And uh, I did my due diligence. I went and I interviewed in person the uh, one of the guys that was the organizer of the recall effort. Um, I also uh, interviewed Anthony Calandro from the Gun for Hire Woodland Park Range. Uh, he's got a podcast out too, Gun for Hire podcast, which is something I could recommend people listening to. It's a great, uh, great show, a lot of good information. And I got done with this article, and it was probably upwards of, you know, 6,000 words. I mean, it was a big, like, expose on why supporting the recall is so important. And I submitted it to the, the gentleman that I was in contact with, and he basically ghosted me entirely. Um, and I mean, I submitted it i followed up followed up and i'm like you know you and i i mean you said to write about this so like at least tell yeah. me you don't think it's a good article if you think it's a crap article just tell me i'm a big boy um <laughs> so i was at that point i was an ammo land reader and i had reached out to ammo land that i ended up getting um freddie on the phone 
and uh, he and I were chatting. I says, look, man, I got this article. I want you to take a look at it. I don't know if it's any good. I And I told him the story. I said, I wrote this for a, another website, and uh, they pretty much ghosted me. He's like, I'll take a look at it. And he took a look at it. He says, like, you're right. It's long. It's very long. <laughs> and um, I said, well, let's give this one more week to let this other individual you know, see if he wants to claim it or not. And, um, you know, lo and behold, I was completely ghosted by this other, uh, organization and website and, um, ammo land ended up running the article and that was in 2015. And from 2015 to probably I'd say 2020, I would put out work in dribs and drabs. So every so often, and we're not talking about like with gross regularity, but, um, I was, you know, submitting. And then at the same time, I would also, in that time period, I, I would submit some work to some other sites as well. Um, Truth About Guns, I got a piece uh, published through them. Um, and then Bearing Arms as well, I had gotten some stuff published through them. But nothing was really official. I was just kind of like a guest, uh, you know, content creator, a guest writer and and all of these web pages. And then in 2020, uh, shortly after the book came out, Amoland had asked me to come on and take a more active role in writing. And I said, sure. And I took on a couple of projects that they wanted me to, to look at and um, started writing, you know, for them with more regularity. Uh, from that, you know, some articles that I wrote generated some interest elsewhere. And that's how some other people got in touch with me and said, hey, uh, that's how JM4 Tactical and I uh, got hooked up and I started writing blog entries for them. And then um, over at Bearing Arms in 2021, I was asked to, you know, if I wanted to come on because I was submitting more and more. And now at this point, I'm like submitting work more actively to more and more venues and places and uh bearing arms in 2021 like i said they uh you know cam edwards is the editor over there editor-in-chief said uh we're gonna we're gonna try to bring you on as an actual contributor not not a, as a guest so uh that's kind of how it all happened it was accidentally i an answered an advertisement for uh you know writing gun content and and to to be perfectly honest with you my writing um, prior to, you know, that Amalan piece, I was writing in the creative writing field. I was writing, you know, poetry and literature related work. I wasn't writing anything technical. I wasn't writing any journalism. I wasn't writing any commentary or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it just kind of accidentally happened like that. Now that other website that I had submitted to, I mean, I've, I've submitted work to them again, uh, subsequent. And I think I've gotten one reply over the years and it was kind of like, uh, has this been submitted anywhere else? And I'm like, well, uh, not really, but if you want yeah. it, I'll end the submission process like right here. And it's like, forget it. You know what? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll run into that guy. Maybe I won't say, you know, Hey, it's, it's cool. You know, whatever. See, so you kind of had a Forrest Gump moment here leading into writing for major websites. <laughs> I mean, it just yeah. kind of fell in your lap. Yeah, it, it sure did. It was just, uh, hey, I think that's a good idea. I'll take a crack at this. And, and I did. And, 
now here I am. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not like, and I don't want to, you know, uh, misrepresent myself in any way or anything like that, because there are writers out there that have thousands, thousands of articles, thousands of hard news pieces, thousands of pieces of commentary. Um, you know, and here I am, you know, last year I wrote probably, I don't know exactly how many, but, you know, anywhere between 250 to maybe 300 articles total in all different places and some contract work as well. Um, but this is as a side hustle. Um, I don't think that that's a bad amount of content. <laughs> no, because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're submitting that much, you're submitting, what, three quarters of an article per day? I mean, you're, you're, you're busy. I mean, that's busy. And then on top of that, you're doing that on top of your regular day job. Yeah. So, yep. so I, yeah, that's, that's, that's busy. I mean, I, you know, I do a video and I complain about writing a 300 word article from my own website. Uh, you're like doing major articles every couple of days. It, um, <laughs> it seems to be that way. Yeah. That's just, I've changed my, my coffee routine in the morning to include, <laughs> We're drinking coffee and we're writing, and this is just what it is, you know. Crank out some work and see where it takes you, you know. Now, how do you come up with ideas to write? I mean, do you just like see where the wind's going, or do you have some ideas of what you want to write about before you write them? So it, it all it's it's all basically what is going on. Now, um, I write a lot of commentary. So there is a lot of opinion that I do write, and at Bearing Arms, we do uh, a lot of work like that. But I also do cover hard news as well. So like, and we could talk about some of this. You and I, sure. you know, uh, you know, backstage kind of discussed some of this. Um, for hard news, I absolutely love news tips. So if you've got something going on in your area, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to your your viewers and your listeners. Go on the online and go on my webpage and drop me a dime. There's a form you could fill out and it'll send me an email. I love news tips. I love hearing from people and especially people that um, are happy to be interviewed that want to talk and give hard quotes. Um, if not, if there's enough breadcrumbs there for me to follow some leads and that that's where I found some of the most uh some of the best work that I feel I've put out has come from story leads or from things that I've seen. And I said, well, I want to look into this on my own a little bit further. Um, so that's one way. And then the other way is just, you know, you're keeping your finger on the pulse and um, watching both social media and also watching news tickers. And I've got, I can't tell you how many news tickers that go off on, on my mobile devices daily. I mean, you're talking 24 seven. Um, but I do have quite, quite a bit, uh, going on there and, uh, try to grab, grab stories when I see them. Yep. And there's, there's so the, um, the form right there. You just put in your name, your email address and your message. Um, so, and I, I've got, readers that'll reach out to me and some sometimes they scold me if I use the wrong word or um, <laughs> recently I had a reader uh, reach out. They were uh, questioning my validity because I quoted Wikipedia and 
<laughs> I'm like, I get that Wikipedia is the resource that it is, but this was like over what areas does this grocery chain service, right? And it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> this is a benign thing. This isn't like something that we're worried about a bias. And that wasn't good enough for this reader, let me tell you. Um, so my my wife had said to me, well, I guess you lost a reader today. I said, maybe, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it is what yeah, it is. I, well, and that's the same thing I get with, with video content I do. You will you will get some some haters like um, one of my videos for uh, it was the disassembly and reassembly of an AR upper. Well, you know, it's like I didn't use the proper wording for Delta ring. It's like, OK, but you understood what I said, right? I mean, you know, what I said is not technically correct, but it's common language for that part. Um, you know, it's like. I, I put in the comments like, you know, I, you know, I don't fault people for interchanging clip and magazine. I know what you're talking about. I know right. the correct term for it. I'm not going to call you out for it, but you know, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things is, you know, you, you get, you get that on your, on your, uh, not your audio on your articles. It happens. I mean, people have Shh. just got to call sure. out the smallest thing. And, right. And then and then the same people that do that, they want to say everything that you've said or you're going to say, it's now wrong because we don't like this one way you've because yeah. you quoted Wikipedia on this. It's like, look, yeah. I'll, I'll, newsflash, I understand what Wikipedia is. I get it. Um, I, I do. And I still will quote Wikipedia at times. Now, sometimes I will quote Wikipedia so that you have that bonafide maybe leftist spin okay and that's <laughs> yeah. i guess what yeah. that's a valid reason to quote wikipedia because if even wikipedia says xyz thing you know maybe there's some yeah area if we can meet in the middle on this but because it was wikipedia it's all bad so everything that i have to say is bad i should just bear in my shirt Burn my books and be on with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny about people with that. I mean, it's just, there's even ways to, um, in the APA guidelines of writing, how to cite Wikipedia. I mean, they even put that into college of, you know, if you're going to get information from Wikipedia, yes, it's not the greatest um, you know, resource of, of accurate data, but Still, when you're talking about certain events, like how wrong can you be for the dates of, you know, World War Two? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. We're not well, talking about a well-established right. fact. Exactly. You know, and that's um, and I know like back in maybe 10, 15 years ago, colleges and universities were very much so frowning upon people yep. that would use Wikipedia. And I think that that has changed as long as you're citing it properly. Like, hey, this is Wikipedia. Yep. It's a crowd um crowdsourced information um so anyhow it's just it's funny that um some people will go to those lengths of going to the web page to fill out the form just to shake their finger at me but uh and, and i welcome commentary i really do but like let's be real about things you know yeah yeah no i i get it and you know some people have just got to have them themselves heard Right. Sure. They just want to hear themselves talk. And I, I get it. I, you know, 
I hear that stuff. I just kind of laugh. Some sometimes some of the stupid comments people put out there just make me laugh. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's 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 almost entertaining for me. I mean, the fortunate thing I have for like you know in YouTube with my videos is if you're just being an ass and you're being a stupid ass, I will pin your comment to the top so everyone can see it <laughs> and everyone can kind of laugh at it. Um, unfortunately you don't get a chance to do that, but you just got to just shake your head just now. Yeah. It's, and the comments, sometimes I read the comments, sometimes I don't, it all depends on the article. And then the emails, I try to respond to every single email I get good, bad, or indifferent. And very rarely I'll just hit the delete button. And that's usually because something that that person is saying, I don't want to be tied to at all. Uh, yeah. so once in a while I just hit the delete button. I'm like, I am not addressing this at all. I don't know if you're a, uh, a person that maybe isn't um, balanced inside the head or if you're somebody on a fishing expedition, but whatever you've got going on, I want no part of. But generally speaking, I'll reply to everybody. Yeah, and I, you're kind of, I would think that you're kind of like me is it takes a lot to offend me. If you offend me, it's either something really, really bad or really, really personal. Other than that, I don't, I don't care. You have your opinion, great voice your opinion if if it's something really off the wall and, and sure. bad i i'm gonna run from you <laughs> just i'm sorry i'm gonna run from you because there's no way i'm getting in getting that stink on me yeah so out of all of your writing what's what's your favorite type of articles to write i i do like i and just kind of an extension of what we just talked about those hard news articles where i have an opportunity to work with with people or uh, maybe closely with people on gathering information or digging into a subject matter. So, um, you know, or pieces that I just stumble upon. So one of the things that uh, you had brought up to me uh, behind the scenes was uh, the recent article that I wrote about permitless carry versus constitutional carry. Yep. And I think this is a very, very important topic. And believe it or not, it's kind of polarizing for a lot of people, uh, the people that are dug in. Now, in my art, and I've written two articles about this. That's how strongly I feel about it. I wrote one for the second press for Braden Langley, and I wrote one um, over at Bearing Arms. And here's the thing. So permitless carry and constitutional carry is not my champagne. And what I mean by that is, I'm not going to sit here and correct you um, in public or even in private casual conversation and say, listen, that's actually sparkling wine. It wasn't made in the Champagne region yeah. of France, so we can't call it Champagne. Okay, so this, this is not my Champagne. My actual Champagne, it's funny that you brought it up. My, one of my Champagnes is magazine versus clip. That's one of my champagnes. And I'll be like, hey, if we're in a in an educational setting, I say, listen, this is what a magazine is. This is what a clip is, right? That's but that's, everybody has that's a clip. Right, exactly. That's yep, yeah, that's, that's a, a clip. That's a real clip. And everybody has their champagne moments, like with what their topics are. And uh, permitless carry, constitutional carry isn't one of them for me, but what had happened was is I had a, a former student slash reader um, challenge me and saying, how come you always say permitless carry? And 
over constitutional carry. Now, this individual has written me in the past about this. And the first time that they wrote me was, why do you call permitless carry as in one word, permitless together, and not with a space or a dash in the middle of it? I said, well, listen, man, if you just do a search on the accepted way that people are, you know, reporting on this, it's permitless carry, one word. I understand that your spell checker does not recognize that. I get that. But if you go into a web search, this is what the big organizations are using. And I, I say by big organizations, Firearm Policy Coalition calls it permitless carry, right? So here's your distinction. So you have constitutional carry, you have permitless carry. Permitless carry is saying that you do not need a permit to carry your firearm on you concealed, right? But with that, there may or may not be some qualifiers. Now, those qualifiers may or may not be, you can't carry a long gun. Or in the case of Maine, right? So Maine, you, they're, they're permitless carry, except you can't carry in state parks or Acadia Park unless you have a permit to carry issued by Maine or one that has reciprocity with Maine. Okay, so that's permitless carry. Um, all constitutional carry jurisdictions are permitless, but not all permitless jurisdictions are constitutional. And constitutional is embracing more of that element of we are just using the Constitution as our issuing document, right? And that means there's going to be less restrictions to it. If There should be no restrictions, right? And uh, Paul Lathrop, who's the de uh, deputy director of new media over at the Second Amendment Foundation on his shows, constantly talks about constitutional carry true to constitutional carry should mean that i'm allowed to carry without a permit a glock 18 that's fully automatic right now that would be constitutional because there's zero restrictions to it so we get into this linguistic conversation about why would i use permitless carry and my answer to that is very simple this is i'm going to use permitless carry because i do not know every single law of the 25 states that are permitless. And some of those permitless carry states are true constitutional. Well, none of them are true constitutional carry, right? Because we yep. can't carry a machine gun, right? But we'll say... Well, I don't know about that because um, the reason why I say I would know about, I don't know about that is we're allowed to own machine guns in Montana. Well, so uh, allowed to, but, to own but them. They have to be pre, but they have to be pre-85. Sure, but you can't go out to your local Walmart to buy a machine gun and then put it in no, your pocket. No, no, you can't. Yeah, so right. to you me, can. I mean, I'm just going to, but we nope. can have this linguistic sure. conversation, you know. Um, and so the true constitutional carry states that are out there, I mean, I don't know all of the laws and I will look into the laws when I have to look into them. Sure, but to know all of the 50 states' laws, to be able to make a distinction. I would rather be accurate with less information by just referring to them as permitless. Yeah. And um, for some people, that's not a good enough answer. Other people get a little bit more in-depth on it. But this is the um, these are the accepted definitions. And by accepted, I mean you can go out there and try to find the difference between the two, and that's the difference. I'll tell you that you have just convinced me to stop saying constitutional carry. 
just this conversation right here. Um, because I'm thinking, as you're talking, I'm thinking through, you know, we like in Montana, we passed constitutional carry last year. It's not a permitless carry. What, what it means for us is that you can carry without a permit. However, you still can't carry inside a bank. You can't carry inside a state of Montana building unless you have a concealed carry permit before they were, they were forbidden completely. Mm -hmm. Now you can, you can carry except for these certain places. But if you have a concealed carry permit, these certain restricted places that the state of Montana can control are now open to you. So we're still not a constitutional carry because I still need a permit to carry inside our Capitol building. Right. So, you know, just this conversation alone, you've convinced me that um, <laughs> to stop saying constitutional carry because it really isn't. Well, even um, if we, we embrace we pass the wall saying we can do this, <laughs> even if we embrace, you know, embrace the liberal and this is a liberal definition of constitutional carry is. There's less qualifiers, but guess what? There's still qualifiers at the end of the day. But if we use yeah. this liberal definition, it's saying, okay, uh, are you 21 or can 18 year olds do it? Or in the case of like, I think Tennessee and, and don't hold my feet to the fire, but I think Tennessee's law is you can't carry a long gun or uh, mm -hmm. a, a pistol over a certain length of barrel. I mean, so there's very small, and that was a big deal when, Tennessee was going permitless was there was I think three different bills that were being you know proposed and there was like arguing and fighting about which ones are the best bills and it's like let's just get one of them passed like let's go permitless and then worry about constitutional next you know yeah yeah let's because I'm let's, in Jersey I can't even get a permit at all in yeah. Jersey okay so like let's <laughs> talk about constitutional carry there's like zero constitution in the state of new jersey yeah it, it's um new jersey is a pretty restricted state um just to say the least I, I know several people um in new jersey uh one of them's been on the podcast uh she's the she's kind of the managing partner of Throom targets right in, in northern jersey um she's a shooter and you know she and and we got talking when she was on and it's just the you know, jersey laws can be pretty restrictive to say the least right. um you know and that's being yep. that's being nice um yes. you know i've i've shot competitions at fort dix um i i was a maryland resident when i was doing that and taking a gun from maryland into new jersey I mean, that's you, you talk about going from frying pan to fire, um, you know, and that's <laughs> from one snake and viper pit to another. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. I mean, you know, and that's back, gosh, oh, that's 20, almost 30 years ago that I did sure. that. So Maryland's laws weren't anywhere near as bad as they are now. Um, but still, it, it was still it. it it was it was it was still going from a, a restrictive state to a, an extremely restrictive state back then. Yep. Um, now, you do a lot of writing of Jersey law there, you know, about Jersey laws. I mean, you're you're very outspoken about your states. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, the what's his name? The, the trucker. Uh, out, Ed the uh, trucker. You know, yeah. Ed, Ed, Durr. Ed, yep. Ed the trucker, you know, ousting this the Senate president in in Jersey, which. 
that was the to me that was one of the greatest um david and goliath stories ever um i mean he went through the primaries on what three thousand dollars or two thousand dollars i think out of pocket i think he spent two hundred dollars of his own money and i've never gotten the full answer but i believe it's two hundred dollars of his own actual money um basically on donuts and coffee for his volunteers. I think that's what his campaign cost. Everything else came in the form of contributions or whatever. Uh, the man is, is going to be a legend no matter how, you know, his career goes, you know, he's in the Senate now. He's already introducing wonderful legislation. He introduced a legislation to remove the justifiable need requirement, which is what we have here in order to get a permit to carry in New Jersey. And that is what makes us a May issue state. And our May issue, when you look at the map and it says May issue, it is no issue. Do not let them kid you. It's a de facto yeah. ban on carry in the Garden State. So Senator Durr, um, he went and he introduced legislation that will remove that requirement. And he put in there, um, I think, 16 hours of training um, in order to get a permit. And people went crazy. They're like, oh, 16 hours of training. This is uh, absurd. I said, is it that absurd based off of the carry we currently have? Because we have zero carry. And if I have to sit through 16 hours of training, um, I will gladly do that uh, well, to get my permit. To, to get the rights back in New Jersey is going to be the exact same way they took it away from you. They, they didn't take it away from you all at once. They took this away from you. Then they took this away from you. Then they took sure. this away from you. The, all he's doing is doing the exact same thing, just in reverse. Of We're course. Just, and then we challenge his law. If we don't think his law is great, we say, you know, this law is absurd. It's got 16 hours of training. This is an un undue requirement. And then we get that training maybe knocked down to eight hours or four yeah. hours or ultimately speaking, I would like zero hours. I don't believe that we should have to even have a permit. So again, this conversation on a philosophical level is moot, but I do want, I would like to have carry in, in my home state. Um, so if this is what we have to do to get there, so be it. Yeah. Take, take the first step and then, and then work on the second step after you get there. Because yeah, you, you, the rights in New Jersey have been suppressed for so long that it's not, I mean, it's, everyone just knows. You just don't even apply. I mean, when I lived in Maryland, um, you know, this was back in the 90s. It was, don't even apply. You're not going to get it. Right. Um, the only people who get a permit in Maryland are people who know high profile politicians that are personal friends or Flat out, the state police go, we can't protect you. <laughs> you know, right. you're, you're, right, you, right. you are literally on your own. Um, there's nothing we can do. And even then, that's, even then that, that's, that's an extreme for them. Um, yeah. But yeah, get, get your rights back. I agree. You know, I want them all back now. But I would settle for just chipping away. Um, and working and working, get working and getting them back to complete going back to the constitutional carry thing. Work on the constitutional carry over time, but get whatever you can now. Absolutely. And, and when we read these articles by these pundits that are saying, 
you know, the New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin is going to give people more freedoms and more liberties. No. What this case has the ability to do, should we get a, a good and proper opinion, which uh, I'm of the ideology we will get a good opinion, um, this isn't going to give us more freedoms and liberties. It's going to remove undue restrictions that we've been under. And it's going to align us closer to what the Constitution says. Uh, do, do I think we will ever have a true constitutional anything when it comes to firearm lock? Because at what point do we really draw the line and say, this is an undue restriction, this is an undue restriction. There are people who say getting a NICS check is an undue restriction. Um, and, and, and I might be inclined to agree with some of those people, especially when nine out of 10 NICS denials are wrong. Yeah. So the system is so crazy that only 10% of NICS denials are accurate. So guess what? That kind of makes that an undue restriction, therefore unconstitutional. And let's look at this big picture, all the matter of the NICS systems, the 1934 uh, acts, you've got the 1968 acts, all of these things haven't really, really been challenged heartily by courts post-Heller, where they're getting yeah. a real fair shake on a uh, history, text, tradition way of looking at things or a strict scrutiny. And if we looked at all of these laws under strict scrutiny, they would be eviscerated, I think, overnight, most of them, because they are undue restrictions. Uh, a permit is a poll tax, so you can't even tell me that having a permit that you have to pay, even if it's $2, and they complain about that in the state of New Jersey, Governor Murphy's, well, this is preposterous, the, the price to get a, a handgun in the state hasn't changed in since the, the, the scheme you know came into play and it's two dollars per permit. That was there to pay for the paper. That's why they did a yeah. two dollar. It's that's why it's so small. Like all right, so it doesn't keep up with inflation. So sad, too bad. You're the one that wants this, not us. This is we don't need yeah. it. The permitting scheme is moot in, in 2022. The, the the point of contact states, right? New Jersey, New York, um, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, Utah, uh, Connecticut. These are all point of contact states where you don't just go through NICS. You go through the special state background check yep. and then we go through NICS. All that stuff is moot, man. Like that's, that's undue um, stress, you know, not to get on a tangent. <laughs> no, it's funny because, because what I'm thinking of is, you know, here in Montana, we have, you know, we, we have permits, you know, you can, you can get a permit to conceal carry and it's $45 for, uh, was it? I forget like four or six year. I forget what our permits are. Um, and I just renewed it. Well, you know, it's done by the sheriff and I don't know one County sheriff it, it's it, in the law. It's a, it says maximum $45. I don't know one County that is under $45. Of course, they all just went to the maximum to to get that permit, sure. um, you know, so they can recover their their staff's time to issue these. They're always going to complain, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying ours are, are going to complain, but politicians are always going to complain. It's not enough. We need more. We right. you know, we need to charge more. Yeah. Two dollars to get a permit to buy a uh, to get a permit to buy a firearm is completely 
a foreign concept to me. Right? I've never had to get a permit to buy a firearm, and I don't understand why people would ever need to. But yeah. I know people in Jersey that have to do that, and it's just like, you know, I look, I, I look at people, you know, the people I know in in those restrictive states. I'm like, get out. But and and I get their point is like, why should I have to leave? You you shouldn't. You know, you shouldn't. And I get it. I mean, I I, I left restrictive states to move out west why for several reasons, but um, one of us to get away from those restrictions. I, I'm done. I I, I don't want to deal with that stuff. But like people like you that stay behind the fight for that stuff is is amazing. Um, because the politician politicians are not going to fight for it. I mean, very few are going to. It's right. It's the people pushing the politicians exactly that are that are actually driving things through. Politicians are never going to give up their power willfully. I mean, nope. you know, that that's their whole idea is to consolidate power. The people pushing is what's what's doing that. Exactly. Um, and the absurdity, and not to beat the dead horse, but the absurdity of this $2 permit, I think we need to get everybody on the same page. Let's say you want to buy a handgun in the state of New Jersey. You've got to go and apply for a pistol purchaser's permit, right? To do that, you have to submit a, a fee. I think it's 20 or $25 for a background check to get that permit. So then they give you the permit, which is $2. And then you take that permit. You used to take a physical permit. Now it's in the computer system. Okay, that's cool. Right, it's in the computer system. The files are in the computer. You go to your FFL and uh, you have your permit in hand, let's say, or in the computer system. And you say, I want to buy that handgun right there. And you take the, the handgun out. This is okay. We're going to run a NYX. Here's your 4473. You pay another $20 or $25 background check fee. The one that you just paid to get the permit, you pay again to buy the gun the day of. So this, if you can't sit here and tell me that that's not unconstitutional or total malarkey, so it's going to cost you, I, I, and I can't remember if it's 20 or $25, but you're talking about 40 to $50 tax on top of your firearm, on top of the taxes on the firearm, on top of everything else that you've got going on. And that's just garbage, okay? Yeah. And, and you know, I was a, I was an FFL for 10 years. Trust me, doing a NICS check is not hard. But, you know, if you've got to do a NICS check twice to buy a gun, that's, that's excessive. I mean, that really is. And then plus you're paying all the time. That's the whole thing is, you know, when, when they – well, banned machine guns, but every but everything before was it uh, October eighty five or October eighty four is transferable, and there's a two hundred dollar tax. The whole idea was is that they're going to make those guns so expensive that no one's going to buy them, and right. that's all that's all New Jersey's doing to you. They're 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 putting hidden taxes on everything that you do, firearm related, trying to make it so that you can't afford it. I mean. It's ridiculous. I mean, and this has got to be, I'm going to slightly switch topics on you. Oh, this no, has got to be why New Jersey absolutely does not like ghost guns. And I hate using the word ghost guns, but since the politicians are so inclined to use it, um, you know, I prefer home-built firearms. They lost their control and they're losing their tax on that, which is why they really banned it. I mean, a ban on that. Well, there you go. you're back. Oh, was I frozen again? 
<laughs> for a second there. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about that in Jersey. So I think it's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say this is all 100% about people control. This is not about gun control. This is not about crime control. This is about controlling the law abiding citizen and keeping the peasants in the field where they belong. They don't want the angry villagers with their pitchforks and their torches storming the castle. That's what they don't want. And whatever metaphor you want to draw here, we are subhuman to them. They made this distinction and that's it. And it's all about control. And if they can't control every single aspect of your lives, they, they freak out. And this is, um, in New Jersey, it's like having an abusive relationship. Uh, I've, you know, got a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where the, the state, <laughs> it, it hits me because it loves me. Right. And that's yeah. what we're dealing with in the state. Um, and that's how New Jersey shows its affection to me is by usurping my freedoms and treating me like I'm a dog. And that's basically what it boils down to. And you can apply that to ghost guns, home-built firearms, carry permits, personal purchaser permits, FID cards, transportation to and from the range directly. I can't keep the gun. Uh, if you wanted me to take my firearm, my pistol to your house to show it to you because it's cool, or let's say, hey, you're better at putting uh, that Ruger Mark II back together than I am. I can't gather those parts up and have you put it back together for me because uh, I can't go and bring that to your house or you can't come to my house because that would be an unlawful transfer. I'd have to put all the parts in a bag and bring it to the range and then you and I would have to do it at the range. That's the absurdity of these laws. Yeah, and I mean, that's not going to stop anything, right? I mean, seriously. You know, I know I know New Jersey has the whole thing of to the range and back in the range. You can't stop and get a Slurpee at 7-Eleven or a Hoagie at Wawa or use the bathroom at a gas station, or God forbid you need gas um, right. in your vehicle, you can't stop. It is from the range to your house, you know, or from your house to the range. You know, it's you can't stop for any other un, unplanned stops than, than that. Um, I mean, short of a stop sign, a fire truck, or a red light, your car's moving. <laughs> you know, right. That's, that's about it. <clears throat> Um, and that's like for those of us th that might be trans uh, traveling with firearms uh, using, you know, Firearms Owner Protection Act and whatnot. You're going, you know, uh, through state lines. Like if you're going through New Jersey and you're, or or through New York or through Maryland. Oh, Maryland, they 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 had that little scheme that they had there where they were looking up, um, you know, carry permits in the state of Florida, right? Uh, that was some weird stuff that went down a couple of years ago. But anyhow, you're going through these states. You say, well, you're protected to go th through the state. So depending on the state is whether how they're going to respect that or not. Oh, you stopped to get gas because you've been driving for a day and you ran out. You ran. You better gas up before you get to the northeast if you're going to say uh, like Maine, New Hampshire, or Vermont, the last uh, remaining free states up there in the northeast. You better gas up before you hit Jersey or New York because you want to go straight there, you know? Well, what sucks is because you're going to want to get gas in Jersey because that's the cheapest gas in the, in the mid Atlantic there. You know, <laughs> it is. Yep. 
But forget <laughs> so, food, forget lodging, yeah. forget it all. You got to toss it out. There's no exemptions for any of that. So anyhow, that's yeah. that's kind of what we're dealing with here behind the iron curtain curtain in New Jersey. The iron curtain. It's definitely that too. Um, and then God forbid you're in Pennsylvania, you go over to Jersey to get alcohol. <laughs> you're sick of, sick of state stores in, in Pennsylvania. But um, now you wrote a little bit of an article on the Heller uh, settlement. Uh, talk a little bit about this, the, the Heller settlement and what that actually means to people. Okay. So that was again, dealing with home build firearms or so-called ghost guns, however you want to classify them. Right. And back in uh, last year, Dick had challenged the, um, there was an ordinances and laws in DC that basically outlawed the home build of firearms, undetectable firearms. And there's a whole litany of things. It's all cited in the article. You can look at it there. And uh, basically the law was so egregiously written and so ignorantly written that the law actually outlawed conventional firearms like Glocks and other polymer framed guns because they like took the, you know, definition to the nth degree where like the frame right. and receiver won't set off the metal detector at all. And we're not saying with the slide, we're saying yeah. just the frame or receiver. So they basically outlawed like the most popular guns in the, in the district there. And part of this was also home build kits and getting your 80% lowers and all these things. So Dick had ordered one, uh, had ordered a kit and had it shipped. And then um, I think he had it shipped to the Metro police. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I'd have to dig back and because this is like last yeah. year's news, right? So this is like right. last November. I can't remember it all. Um, but Dick had this kit shipped and it got returned to sender because of the law. So Dick uh, challenged the law. And uh, basically what they ended up getting out of this was uh, a temporary and emergency um, you know, law changes in the district. So the final law change isn't done, but they did get some of the relief that they were seeking on the matter um, in these changes so that, yes, you can do these things or whatever. And the speculation is maybe that they're waiting on a final uh, law change to see what happens, you know, on a, on a federal level, which I don't know how the federal executive overreach is going to have, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, a bearing it's... on the the creation of more unconstitutional regulations, but but whatever, far be it from me to judge. Uh, but what happened was so that a part of this uh, agreement, there was a settlement agreement, and the Heller Foundation did get paid uh, five thousand dollars for having Dick's rights usurped and uh, for the trouble of all this. And also, as part of the settlement, was that uh, the district was to pay for all of the attorney fees. So to date. And it should be any day now for the rest of it. But to date, uh, the Heller Foundation did receive their $5,000 from the district. And now they're just waiting on attorney fees. So once those come, I believe they'll probably be dropping suit. Um, but my suspicion, based on um, talking with uh, uh, Heller's attorney, Mr. Lyons, and uh, you know, I'm not putting words in his mouth or anything, but my speculation uh, you know, after our conversation is they're not letting up. They're going to keep attacking the district on every single um, unconstitutional law. And, and Mr. Lyons, he was uh, also one of the original plaintiffs of the Heller case. So 
um, the Heller decision being we all attribute to, to Dick, uh, Mr. Lyons was incredibly involved in this from the get-go. So these guys are patriots, man. These guys are the god daddies of the Second Amendment in, in the country. And I say that because if we didn't have the Heller decision to lean on, we would have nothing to lean on right now, and we'd have no Second Amendment whatsoever. I mean, he's he, he it's almost like he exists just to sit there and poke the bear, right? And poke the bear. Oh, I got the reaction I wanted so that I can sue you to overturn your your tyrant um, behaviors. I mean, he's he, he's really he's really good at, at at just well, quite frankly, pissing DC off. And he's a wonderful man. He's great to talk with. I had the the pleasure to to meet him last year. Um, and he's he's a hell of a patriot. This guy is is top notch, and this is this is a man that we all need to support absolutely. Now, do you have a problem with getting people to open up with you what, to write an article? Uh, <laughs> well, it depends on who I'm talking to. Uh, true, uh, yeah, true. <laughs> so what, uh, let me tell you about the responses I've gotten from the state of New Jersey when I've written to the AG's office and. I've gotten the customary, uh, okay, we're going to forward this on, blah, 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 blah. And then I get the flat line because my yeah. questions are pointing out that they're uh, maybe, uh, you know, advocating that people break the law to participate in their gun buyback programs or whatever. Uh, so those people don't really want to, you know, uh, talk sure. to me. N neither did the grocery chain that I reached <laughs> out to recently saying, hey, what's what you're no guns allowed policy that didn't get any responses from those guys. Uh, but if I'm talking to somebody and uh, especially if it's like a news tip or whatever, uh, generally speaking, or I've approached plenty of people about either doing an interview or getting a, a quote. Uh, most people have been very wonderful with me about participating in an interview and I'll handle this one of a couple of different ways. And it's whatever that person's comfort level is. If you and I were saying, working on an article say, well, how do you want to handle this? You want me to just interview? I can, you know, have some, you know, questions and some banter back and forth. And I'll ask you if it's okay if I record the conversation so that I have that to lean on. And then um, I could pop from our interview what, what we need to, so I could quote you more directly, or I could say, Hey man, do you want to, give me three to five sentences to about this, uh, you know, and we could talk about this and this is what I'm looking for. If you agree with that, you know, uh, but generally speaking, most of the people uh, have been very wonderful about interviewing and, you know, talking because we're, we're working towards, uh, you know, kind of the same goal, at least on our side, we're working uh, towards the same goal of, um, you know, getting our freedoms restored um, sometimes I mean, on the other side, yeah, they're not so willing to talk, you know? Yeah. yeah but I have gotten replies from the state police that were very nice about giving me technical answers to technical questions saying, what is the deal with this topic? And they've, they've gotten back to me to their credit. And I, and I appreciate that. But I mean, you know, I, I guess where, um, where you're going with that, it, it, with the answer is that, you know, people are willing to talk to you because you're furthering their argument along. So it's actually in their best interest to, to have you interview them and, and talk to them. One guy, one, one guy has, I'd say, 
completely blown me off. And I, I can't say completely because I did establish some communication with this individual. I, I wanted to interview him. Uh, a colleague of yours and mine that we know interviewed this guy and ended the interview in the middle of the interview. Um, and I reached out to this individual and uh, I had some back and forth with him and um, He's a little was, trying, <laughs> was, was trying to get him on the record on some things. And actually I'll go as far to say as, you know, let me throw some softball pitches at you. You know, and let's yeah. see if, you know, you want. And uh, where we stand today is I've been ghosted by this guy, and that's fine. Like, if that's the way he wants to be, um, I'm liable to run into him one day and say, hey, man, I was going to give you an opportunity to basically have the floor and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you want it, the invitation's open. It's there. Um if you don't want to talk about controversial stuff on that level, we don't have to, there's plenty of other controversial stuff I could ask you about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no, especially with firearms, there's no shortage of content to talk about. Right. Um, pro or con. I mean, it's just, it's just there. I mean, that's the whole thing about um, the whole firearms debate is it's passionate on both sides. It's not yep. hard to get a reaction at all. <laughs> yep, for sure. So now I want to be respectful of time here. Um, let's, uh, how can people find you or, or get in touch with you? And, and any of the links for anybody listening or even watching, I'll have down in the description below. So that way you can just click on them. But, but John, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, the, the best way to get in touch with me is you can go to my website. So it's either johnpetrolino.com or thepenpatriot.com. And uh, that's you, you can go on there. There's links to some of my work. Um, there's links to where you can go directly to like my Bearing Arms page or my Ammo Land page. And that's if you want to see that work, that's the best way to go about it because I've stopped posting individual articles on my, on my website. It just got at a hand quickly with. it's yeah. very hard to keep up with you can find me on uh for the facebook people you could go and find me the pen patriot um that's my facebook handle i have a personal facebook account as well i usually keep that just for friends and family and close contacts but um general public you guys want to see what i'm up to go check out the pen patriot i'm also on instagram and on twitter uh instagram my handle is j petrolino iii and uh, over at Twitter, John Petrolino. So those are the ways you can find me. And again, if you guys have, uh, you know, some sort of a news tip that's going on out there, reach out to me. I'd love to hear your ideas. And I can't make, a, you know, I can't make a guarantee that I'll write about everything that I get a tip on. But I, I generally, my, my rate of return is probably around in the upper 90s of the percentile of news tips I follow through with. But even if you have a tip that you might not write on, it might lead to something in the future because you might start, you might not know about something going on that you'll start paying attention to. So it's of course. definitely worth and that's, dropping yep. a tip. And that's happened as well. So uh, those are the main ways to get a hold of me. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Now, we have a little bit of time left. And uh, for gun people, I like to do a speed round. Are you up for that? Sure. 
All right. So basically it's a this or that. And um, I'll just ask you a choice and just off the top of your head, tell me what your uh, thoughts are. Okay. So handgun or long gun? Handgun. Revolver or semi-auto? Semi. Nine millimeter or 357 sick? Nine. Open carry or concealed carry? Concealed. For recreation shooting, factory ammo or reloaded ammo? Uh, neither. I'd say just reloaded, sure. <laughs> okay. Red dot or night sights? Uh, red dot. And if I were to give you any gun that you wanted that ever existed in the world, what gun would you ask for? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, that's I, It's almost impossible to answer that because I don't <laughs> want just one gun. I'd want a whole museum of you them. You want them all. <laughs> I, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm non-discriminatory. <laughs> if I had to give you like an obtainable dream gun would be like a Desert Eagle. That's an obtainable dream gun. Uh, an unobtainable dream dream gun would probably be like a full auto Tommy gun, maybe, or uh, Uzi. You know, I I wouldn't mind yeah. an Uzi. That that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, it would be. John, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you taking time out to to talk to us. I mean, we we spent actually, gosh, what about six weeks trying to get this one set <laughs> set up, and I'm glad that we got it because um, <laughs> it, it was great to actually talk to you. I mean, we've talked on on, you know, instant messaging back and forth, but it, it's great to actually be kind of face to face with you. Yes. And talk about some of this stuff. I definitely appreciate you uh, inviting me to be on the show. I really do. Thank you so much. And uh, we could do this again in the future and hopefully with Absolutely. less technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. John, anytime you want to come on, just reach out and let me know and then we'll start working into the schedule. All right. Sounds good. Great. Thanks, John. For those of you that are on the video side, you've noticed that the intro and outro, the camera angle changed. I mean, yeah, that's still the pegboard there, but it's a different angle. It's because I'm getting close to finishing up, well, at least the base build of the Ultimate Gunsmith Workbench, and we're starting to change things around in the studio. Now, for that interview with John, it was a great interview. It was everything I had hoped that an interview with him would be. Minus the couple of technical difficulties we had, he had lost his internet for a little bit and you know I had to edit some of that stuff out, but it's no big deal. John is a great guest. He's a great person and he's a really, really good writer. I love his book. Definitely go check out the book. Also check out his articles on Bearing Arms. I love reading his articles. Now, what I didn't know was that Charlie, Charlie Cook from Riding Shotgun with Charlie just happened to have been in the room with John. They're, the two of them are friends. And afterwards, I got a chance to talk to Charlie, which is also kind of a bucket list interview for me. And it was great to meet Charlie and talk to him. And um, I'm really hoping that I can get Charlie on sometime soon. If you like the work that I do here, please consider supporting me for free by shopping my affiliate links and banners at www.trb.fyi. Now, when you click on those links, it'll take you over to those websites. And when you make a purchase, a small percentage 
of your purchase will come back to the channel so that way I can continue to bring you additional content. Greatest thing is, it's not going to cost you anything more than you were already going to spend. Now, if you'd like to make a direct donation to the channel, you can do so on the right-hand side of the screen, down towards the bottom. You can click on Make a Donation, and you can make a direct donation to help me continue to bring additional content. Or, for as little as $1 per month, you can be a patron on Patreon. The link will be down below in the description, and your support will greatly help. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.